Starting up a business is hard, really, really hard. Your chances of failure are high. You're likely to lose both your sleep and your hair. But luckily for you, you're not alone. Welcome to ET Startup School, your step-by-step -step guide to starting, building and consolidating your startup business idea. Your teachers at the ET Startup School will be some of India's best-known entrepreneurs, VCs and domain experts. So grab a notebook, pay close attention, school is about to start. Today's class at ET Startup School is called How Do I Analyze the Competition? Your teacher is Rohan Bhargav, the co-founder of Cashcrow, one of India's fastest growing cashback and coupons companies. Co-founded by Rohan and his wife Swati Bhargav in 2013, the journey of Cashcrow was driven by the couple's desire to participate in the booming Indian e-commerce economy and the success of cashback sites globally. And Cashcrow found success in an increasingly competitive space. And so, who better than Rohan Bhargav to teach us about pricing, network effects, tracking competitors, and more? All right, Rohan Bhargava, teacher for this class at ET Startup School. Today's class is all about how do I analyze the competition? Rohan, for this class, let's assume the following things. I have a decent startup idea. I've raised some sort of seed money, and I've convinced a few key people somehow to join me uh, for love of money. Yep. Now, what's the first thing I need to know about the market that I'm going to target? And that's a very interesting question, Suresh. In getting started, right, I, I think there are four key steps. I think the first is understanding what is the problem, right? What are you trying to solve? And does somebody really want that, right? Uh, so, for example, you know, when we started off, uh, you know, our mission was uh, or our belief was that retailers want marketing as a problem to be solved. The problem we're trying to solve is that how do you bring ROI into marketing or return on investment into marketing. The next step is that, uh, you know, who else is solving the problem, right? So for example, when we think about marketing as a, as a broader landscape, uh, Google's doing it, Facebook's doing it. There's obviously, you know, traditional channels of print, radio, TV. What is the problem? Who else is sort of uh, solving it? And then the key question, right, that comes down to is that how are you going to solve this better? Uh, so you're coming into a market, there could be incumbents or it could be a new market, right? But how are you doing this better than others? Now, when we look back at our journey, the core realization that we had, and we spoke to, you know, our, our, our retail partners, et cetera, uh, the message from them was that, look, currently the model uh, is a cost per click model, right? So Google says that, look, if you click on my ad, I will charge you money, right? But, you know, honestly, nobody's making money from clicks, right? Apart from Google. Uh, so we changed that model and flipped it around and said that, hey, you know what? We will charge you on a cost per sale model. Right. And that is what we were saying that, look, we're going to do this differently. Right. We're solving the same problem that Google is solving, but we're going to do it differently. And the last step, I believe, is to validate this problem. Right. Uh, I, I feel that a lot of people that are about to start a business often overthink the problem. So they have like this business plan and they have, you know, a lot of things in place, but they're constantly sort of overthinking it. Right. And I think until you don't jump into it, you're not. You're not going to see what the real world looks like. So, yeah, I think those would be my sort of four steps. Rohan, I often hear VCs say that uh, we want to back a billion dollar idea. <laughs> okay, That's fine yeah. and dandy for a VC to say. As an entrepreneur, how do you figure out the potential size of a market? What metrics did you use, for instance, to estimate how big your market could be? You know, it's a very, very common feedback that uh, we get. And, you know, we've done a couple of rounds. So we know that, you know, even from a series A stage, right, it was like, how big is this going to be? Now, when we started, right, and we started almost uh, nine and a half years back in India, 
we were coming into a virgin market. Uh, there was no cashback in India. You know, so obviously we couldn't have used India as a benchmark, but, you know, luckily we had a lot of global uh, counterparts, right? So we had seen this model evolve in the US market, in the UK market. And what we realized was that at a mature scale, affiliate businesses or performance marketing businesses are able to contribute between 15 to 20% of e-commerce at scale. Uh, and that was the benchmark, right? Now, from there, we kind of projected, looked at, you know, research that was coming out from, uh, you know, various bodies, right? Uh, whether it was Google, whether it was, uh, you know, anyone else talking about the scale at which e-commerce is going to grow in India, the number of people that are going to be coming into the online space. And, and that was our benchmark, right? To figure out, look, what is the target market that we're trying to build? I think with every business that same sort of common sense will apply right so in the sense that if you're trying to build a let's say a restaurant business right uh, and obviously the scalability of restaurant business is is a little different but then you're trying to capture what is the footfall coming in right so let's say uh, you know if you're trying to open up uh, something in cyber city you have a sense of what is the footfall that is coming in right so that becomes your target market within that you know depending on the nature of the, the restaurant right so is it a premium a uh, luxury sort of restaurant or is it, you know, more fast food type, you start to get a sense, right? And that's how you'd start to estimate. Do you read a lot of market research reports and are they for, are they open source and in the free domain or do you have to subscribe to, say, Gartner or Forrest or any of these market research firms that routinely analyze market sizes? You know, honestly, I think a lot of information uh, is available publicly, right? The beauty of media in the last sort of 10, 5, 10 years in India has been that information is easily available. In fact, a lot of uh, harder to get research papers are also available, right? People have sourced it and there are these amazing startup groups on WhatsApp, etc., where you can actually get access. So I, I think getting access to information, not a challenge. Uh, I think it's about being a little enterprising and trying to, you know, ask the question. You said when you entered India nine years ago with this proposition, you were in a virgin market. If I'm a startup entrepreneur, Rohan, should I enter a market with lots of players or look for a completely unexplored white space kind of market? You know, honestly, it's not a straightforward answer. You know, I think coming into a virgin market is great. The advantages are that, you know, you get the early adopters, you kind of are setting the price, profit margins are going to be great. You know, you, you can run that way for a while, right? But you see, the reality is that very, very few businesses get to scale and not face competition, right? So, you know, whether you're the first entrant as you scale, competition will come. You know, on the other hand, uh, you know, if you're entering into a market where there's already a lot of competition, I think you really need to be honest and look at what is it that you're able to solve for, right? So for example, you know, let's say if you want to build a new bank, very, very hard problem, right? There's a regulatory aspect to it, investment aspect to it, you know, which makes entering into that market very hard while there are a lot of inefficiencies that I think anyone can uh, point out to. But, you know, if you're trying to enter, let's say, into the fashion space, right? I think there are new fashion boutique brands that are coming up left, right and center. Uh, there are new restaurants coming up, right? I think we've, we've all seen new chains come up, uh, you know, every month, every quarter. It depends on how fragmented that market is and what are the barriers to entry. Uh, so I think it's really about understanding your market extremely well, uh, being honest, and then really knowing what is my USP, right? Uh, you know, if you look at a business like uh, Zepto, uh, you know, if somebody, you know, went back two years and say, hey, you know what, we need to disrupt online grocery space. Somebody said, look, it's, it's, it's so crowded, right? I mean, there is, a, 
big basket of growers amazon's getting into it amazon fresh is there but you know they've come in and they said that look we will fundamentally challenge how fast we can deliver the product so they're not playing on price uh they're just playing on service right and i think you know they're winning that game so i think it's it's therefore it it really comes down to how are you approaching the problem versus incumbent lots of competition etc ron there's one school of thought that says first mover advantage you should blitz scale you should grab as much of the market as you can you get the early adopters on the other hand there's google which was the 14th 15th or 21st player in the search market as an entrepreneur this can be confusing should i enter a market if there are like 13 players there already you know it's a really really good question uh, and i think it comes down to again what is the usp right how are you solving for this differently if if you look at google's uh, story right you know when they started off they were essentially academics right uh and you know they built this most amazing useful search algorithm right they were so proud of it and you know they went out to microsoft and they went out to yahoo and they, you know these were giants right and they said look we've solved search as a problem can you buy this from us and the answer was look search is not the problem we're trying to solve uh and you know out of desperation they said look we'll set up google and i think the fact that they were true to saying that look there is a problem to be solved and we're solving that problem is really the answer right so are you solving this better than anyone else out there right and you could then be entering a market with 10 20 100 people if you're doing it better you're going to win the game rohan when you launched cash karo you said you entered a virgin market but were there any key competitors what was your sense of the competitive landscape at least of the share of wallet that you were aiming for you know when we uh, started right we were taking a concept that we knew was proven in the west ebates had done extremely well quitco was doing fabulous work in the uk market uh and in india there was no competition you know i think that gave us a lot of comfort a lot of luxury to kind of set up innovate grab the earlier sort of uh, advantage but you know competition has come right so you know as we fast forward 9 years there is more competition and you know at every stage one has to keep innovating right so you know we initially had our core business is cash crow now what we realized was that look there is also a whole world of resellers and influencers and you know that entire ecosystem uh, and that led us to launch uncrow now that has given us another lever or a way for us to create an edge over our competition right now we have our, some of our competition now creating models that are similar to uncrow the next stage is hey what do i now build right so at every stage competition will come right and i think that is just law of nature i i don't think there's any industry where you create a business model you're starting to make money and you know people just leave you people will come after you and uh, you just have to keep being creative it's just it's the law of nature right it's evolution now when you launch a company like cash crow there are incumbent players let's say a bank for instance or let's say another financial player for instance or somebody else do you work with the incumbent players do you compete with them and what happens if you start working with an incumbent player but half it through they develop the potential in house and ditch you i know i'm asking many questions simultaneously so you know we we do work with incumbents right and i think something that we've realized is that it is very very important to partner because not everyone will be able to build everything very early in our cycle we realized that banks telcos have a lot of customers once you have access to customers there's a lot of products you can sell but telco today is doing telco but and honestly an airtel is today also doing advertising right which is now entering into a space that was more google and facebook right 
but you know, can you know, Google has significantly invested in Airtel and Geo, right? So it's everyone sort of trying to be with uh, everybody. Uh, and I think our realization is that it's very, very important to find more and more synergies. We do the offers, offer aggregation extremely well, right? That's our USP. And when we go out to people who are saying that, look, we will continue to do this better than anyone else. The cost effectiveness of you trying to build and replicate everything that I've done is just not efficient. Let me offer, offer it to you at a price that you just can't refuse. So, you know, today we, we all, you know, we actually run products for ICICI Bank. We run products for MasterCard. Uh, there are a bunch of other little, little uh, sites that we run. Uh, and it's our way of preempting somebody maybe coming into our space. Right. So today banks do offers, but a lot of those offers are powered by us. You know, this is something that we started doing about six years back uh, because we sort of, you know, had a foresight that they could come into our world. Might as well get them as our partners. In terms of, you know, how do you ensure that they stay with you? You just have to keep adding value. T tomorrow, if, you know, let's say a, com a competitor of mine is able to give the same banks that I work with a larger bouquet of brands, uh, I have a problem. Or if the rates that they're offering uh, is are, are better than mine. More competitive than yours. So I think it's it's constantly about how do you how do you keep adding value? You know, for, for many of, you know, uh, you who might be listening to this who are, Thinking of partnering with people like banks, etc. The one insight that I have is that with large entities, once you get in, it's very hard. Like they, they don't give you up easily, right? Because there's so much integration and other things that happen. So it 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 actually is a great place to be. But you have to, again, you have to keep doing your just your due uh, value add, right? To keep uh, keep this going. Rohan, what happens if a player in an adjacent market suddenly develops? Uh, a same service or pivots to the same model. The example, I think, was WhatsApp was a mess messaging service. And one day we all woke up to see a call button on the yeah. WhatsApp uh, screen. And now that threatens the telco's yeah. model. Right? You're using WhatsApp to call yeah. and the telco potentially reduces revenue. They were your partners, but suddenly you're competing with them. What happens then if, if an adjacent player develops an ability that's same or similar to yours? You know, that's just how, how life is, right? And, uh, okay. you know... Anyone who's building a business, right? I think the first thing one should understand and expect is that competition is going to happen and it's going to come and it's going to come in the most unexpected ways. Uh, you know, if you look at businesses like Nokia or Kodak, you know, they were dominant industry changing businesses uh, that don't exist, right? Uh, I think uh, my niece who's today 11 years, 12 years will probably not have any understanding or context of what Kodak, Nokia or you know, uh, honestly, if somebody were to give uh, one of those uh, big telephone directories, right? Somebody would look at it and say, what is this? And I just think that's the, that's how things are, right? I think the only way to stay ahead uh, and the only way to continue to survive is thinking about how are you continuing to add value? You know, I think if you are leading a market, you will have opportunity to realize where competition is coming from and how to pivot. You may buy a company. Uh, you may change your model, right? And I think if you look at the history of businesses that have stood the test of time, who are, let's say, 100 years old, 200 years old, have been doing that. Uh, you know, today, one of the more uh, existential threats that I see is towards, let's say, oil and gas companies. We are all now big believers in the EV market. Uh, and if you see a lot of these companies are now going out and buying EV companies. They're buying battery manufacturers, right? 
So it's about how do you stay ahead of competition? How do you just figure out what is coming at you? And it it doesn't just happen, uh, you know, the flash of a button, right? Uh, I think telcos could have seen this happen, right? Voice over internet started happening 20 years back. Skype calling was happening way before WhatsApp added this, right? Back in the day, ICQ uh, was there and, you know, that replaced chat as a service and so many other things, right? The question is, why would a telco not have foresight and have invested or bought WhatsApp the way Facebook did, right? I think Facebook, I think that is a master stroke from them. Uh, so I think it, it really is about continuing to stay nimble. Complacency is probably the biggest threat that companies have, large and small. I, I think the answer lies in being true to your uh, mission statement. And I think as long as you're straying to that mission statement, you have a benchmark to keep doing better and better. You know, if I, if I think about, you know, what we're trying to do at Kashkaro, our objective is how do I make marketing more efficient? If I have that mission statement, I never get to a place of complacency because as long as I'm improving that, whether I am fifth, 10th or number one, I'm constantly trying to better myself from the previous place, right? I think what you're trying to avoid is a sense of stagnancy. You know, in, in our world, we sort of, we had cash crow. We then said, look, how do I do this better? We did earn crow. We then created an offline business because we realized that, you know, while India is served, Bharat is not served. I think that's the only way forward, right? You have a clear mission statement and can you keep beating that? Uh, because, you know, I think the, the problem you're alluding to is that there is no benchmark, right? Uh, you're not trying to do 10% better than my closest competition, right? You're just standing alone. Okay, so Rohan, that explains uh, how you understand, say, for instance, an adjacent competitor. Now, some time ago, a senior exec at Mercedes said that people investing in SIPs or systematic investment plans into mutual funds are actually competing with their ability to buy luxury cars. Now, what happens if a completely unrelated player starts competing with you? For instance, once upon a time, I guess, uh, companies like Minolta and Canon and all of them were competing with, uh, with each other in the camera market and yeah. suddenly comes Nokia, which becomes the world's largest camera seller. Or for instance, if you run an airline and you're competing with other modes of transport, uh, Cisco's telepresence allows people to travel virtually. Now, an airline is competing with a router, for instance, or a networking company. How do you plan for this kind of competition? I think you should keep every entrepreneur up at night, right? I, I think uh, one has to keep looking at what's happening. What are the new trends? You know, so for example, I am subscribed to almost every startup report that comes out there. I'm just looking at these companies, right? What do they do? In some cases, trying to figure out what are the synergies. So for example, we work with, you know, all sorts of e-commerce companies, right? So now anyone who raises money should be a partner of ours, right? So that is one aspect of synergy. Uh, but equally, I'm following what what else is happening, right? What other disruptions are happening? Uh, and constantly sort of thinking that, hey, is this good for me or bad for me, right? Is there something that can change? Uh, I think you then also need to have a, a strong team of leaders who can also help you think in that problem. Right? You know, I think with all the examples that you you quoted, right, whether it's Canon or it was not, the world does not change overnight. The change happens very slowly, right? And sometimes it is so slow that you don't even notice the change happen until it suddenly pivots on you. And I think that's where every CEO, business owner, entrepreneur should be allowed a certain amount of mind space to be obsessing over that. Right? I think that is really the job of, you know, somebody heading a company at 
CEO level or or a co-founder level. Okay, another uh, word that we hear a lot of entrepreneurs and VCs use is the word moat. Uh-huh. So I have two questions for you. What exactly is a moat, and how do you go about building one and sustaining yeah. it? So you know the moat is your USP, right? Uh, the moat is what will allow you to survive competition, which could come, you know, as you you know as we've discussed, right, from any possible direction. Could be you know your immediate industry folks. It could be somebody that you never thought would come into your industry, etc. Uh, and I think it's the moat that sort of keeps you abreast, right? It keeps you above uh, others. Now, if I talk about, let's say, what was our moat? You see, when we started off, we were entering into a, a we were building a market. Right? There was no competition coming in, uh, and at that point, the first moat that we ended up creating was going to our retailers and saying that, hey, we are moving the model in which you're going to pay us. Right? You're not going to pay us per click, but you're now going to pay us per sale. So we we took that model then we said that look from the money that we're getting we're going to pass some money back to the users as a cashback now for the first time users were getting cashback for their online shopping right so users said hey this is really really good as more users started to come into that model i was able to drive more sales to my partners as i drove more sales to my partners i went back to them and said hey you know what i think i should get paid a little bit more uh now as that flywheel started to turn we were able to go out and raise some capital Right, so we did a Series A, then a B, then a C. Now, as we get more money, I get more users, I bargain better, I get more retailers. Now, that automatically starts to build a moat for me because I start with a higher rate. Right, so for example, let's say if today somebody is coming into the cashback industry, they can build everything that I have, right, at a technology level, but they fundamentally don't have users to begin with. Right, so when they're starting off, they're probably starting off at base level. Right, where I'm today sitting at, let's say base plus twenty percent, uh, and that creates my moat. Right, that creates my competitive edge to keep managing that. Right, my moat is also constantly thinking about how do I add more value. Right, so constantly sitting with my partners, saying, "Hey, what else do you want?" Uh, equally listening to my customers and saying, "Hey, what do they want? What is what are they liking or not liking about my product?" Uh, and can I keep fixing those problems because? You know, honestly, with all the reviews that come, you can analyze any app and you can know that where is this app doing really well and where is it failing. A lot of that information just publicly there. It's it's kind of creating that, right? So, I I think therefore having enough levels of moat, right? And that moat could then be, uh, you know, over a period of time, your team becomes your moat because you know I think as Jim Collins said in his uh, great book, Good to Great, that having the right people on the bus is probably ninety percent of the battle, right? uh so you know as you get enough capital you just have better talent that better talent will solve the common industry challenges better hopefully and i think i think that's really what you know what why why the importance and you know why i think every vc probably starts that conversation saying hey what's your moat rohan do you use your competitors products and services personally i do i do and i think it's uh, i think it's very very important i think it's important to uh, know how they are solving that problem what is the experience that they are building i think you know with every product there is there are certain challenges or experiences right uh, so you know somebody sitting at flipkart should probably see how is amazon doing this how fast do they deliver you know in my case you know we have competitors and you know i want to see how how is their experience how are they communicating how does that flow or the experience work what happens on their app are they able to you know how quickly am i able to log in how quickly do they track a transaction how quickly am I, are they paying me what are the different modes that they're paying me in right 
so I think it's it's I think for anyone who's not looking at their competition and uh, honestly, I think you need to know your competition's business as well as as you know your own. Uh, and therefore, and the only way of doing it is to actually be using your competition's product uh, often enough to get get that flavor of what's happening. Rohan, one of the words that you've repeated multiple times mm-hmm. in this interview, and quite frankly, many other entrepreneurs in this series have used, is the word honest or honestly or be honest with yourself or some variant yeah. of that statement. I have two questions for you. One, as an entrepreneur, why is it so hard to be honest with yourself? Yeah. Is it because uh, yeah. this is your baby and you created it from nothing and therefore you're in love with it and it's hard to be objective? And the second follow, follow-up question is how do you assemble a team of people who are able to tell you what you need to hear, but maybe you, as an entrepreneur, you don't want to hear? Okay, that's, that's a great question. I'll, I'll tell you the conundrum on the honesty part. You know, when you start a business, right? So, for example, if the opportunity was already solved, it wouldn't be an opportunity. So, a lot of times when you're starting a business, you're sort of going against the tide, right? You're trying to build something that uh, is usually hard or, you know, uh, not, you know, so, for example, when Google was doing what they were doing, uh, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of naysayers coming and saying that, hey, you're going to go against Yahoo, you're going to go against AOL and all of these giants, right? How will you do it? You know, when we started off, uh, you know, honestly, my parents were like, look, you know, you and Swati are, you know, uh, at these wonderful high paying jobs in London. Are you sure you want to leave this and, you know, have no income, no stability? Right? And the honesty part comes in, in that you need to believe in that, right? And and you need to, uh, and because it's a conviction, right? You're in some sense fighting the odds. You need to have, continue to have that belief. You know, I think through so many journeys, right? Whether you look at the Uber journey or the Google journey or, you know, to some extent our journey, things don't just work out the way you think they will, right? Uh, you know, you, you may have beginner's luck. Uh, that's just a reality. But then, you know, things start getting hard. And that's where, you know, you have to keep being honest on, do you still genuinely believe that you can solve this? You know, the minute things start getting hard, all your well-wishers, right? And look, honestly, it's your friends and your family, right? Who will probably be the first one to say that, look, are you sure this is the right thing for you to do? Many of us have left good jobs to do this, right? Uh, and I think that's where the, you know, there is this balance between having great conviction versus knowing that, look, I think it's time to accept, right? And the other part, I think that's really, really important, right? Is that you know, the there is no and there should not be any stigma for uh, failing. And, you know, honestly, if you look at giants like Amazon, they probably have close to 100, 200 ideas that are failing every year. And they are failed experiments, right? Not failed businesses, right? They're learning outcomes. The other part, right, that I think is really, really important is looking at looking at numbers, right? Because that's the only fact Right. So, for example, you know, in, in Kashgar, one of the things that we're absolutely anti is anyone saying words like we are doing well. It was a good quarter. There's no quality. Right. You have to put a number to it. Right. Um, you know, so if you say that, look, it was a good quarter. What does that mean? Right. Uh, you set a target that let's say the target was a 20 percent growth. Did you get 20, 21, 25 or five? Right. And it just takes away any sense of objectivity to it, right? Or subjectivity to it, right? It is a very defined number. And I think data is your best friend. Uh, Because, you know, the data will again, help you determine 
at what point are you just being unduly optimistic and at what point do you keep fighting the battle uh, so i think i think data is really the answer all right now that completes the serious part of the interview let me ask you some personal questions now what is your favorite uh, brand war is it pepsi versus coke is it hul versus png you know it's it's a- apple versus pc and and you know it, it it's a it's a battle that i fight at home uh, swati is a, is a die hard apple person i am a pc person have always been. rohan your wife is your co-founder do you compete with your wife look uh, i i wouldn't uh, go into a battle that i know i can't win you know my belief is that with co-founders right and you know whether it's husband wife or just co-founders um i think you need to compete but also not compete right in the sense that i think the job of co-founders and the leaders in an organization right is to create an environment where we are sort of competing to get the best of each other and and that competition comes in very very uh, subtle ways right uh, you know it could be competing on you know somebody knows something more and there is a desire to learn look we should also have that extra desire to learn or uh, you know somebody having certain skill sets and you know learning from each other those skill sets uh, and i think that done in in the in the right way uh, i think competition is probably the biggest lever for change you know while a lot of what we've been talking about so far has been you know probably the slightly negative connotation to competition uh, i think the positive side uh, that's the only way change happens right okay that's good advice both for startup founders and right. for husbands in general i'm guessing correct correct rohan bhargava of cashcaro.com thank you very much for being part of et startup school thank you so much for having me So that brings us to almost the end of today's class at ET Startup School. If you'd like to be a good student, check out and do the homework assignment in the show notes. If you like the podcast, share it with family, friends, even your frenemies. ET Startup School is produced by Animesh Das with inputs from Anupriya Nair, Erika Dzuza, Arijit Barman, Shilpa Sharma, Harish Shavla, Govind Mundra and Vishal Bhandari. ET Startup School is available on economictimes.com and ET Play as well as Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Jio Seven and Google Podcasts. 